Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Episode 149. We're almost hitting the big 150 mark. We've been cranking them out for you a little over three years. I hope you're really enjoying the podcast because I definitely enjoy doing it and bringing you guys the history of the VW world from the people that lived it and also new updated contemporary stuff and things that things that are happening today. On today's show, we're going to be interviewing Michael Squire I met back at the MP Open House, and he's doing a documentary currently called The Baja Bug Movie. I'm looking forward to seeing it come out. There's lots of in-depth history and interviews that are going to be involved in this, and we hear his story as to how he got into it. There's been a huge resurgence in Bajas recently, and I know even with myself purchasing a Class 11 Street Stomper, a lot of people that are starting to look that direction. I know I am. You probably are too. So my prediction will be when the next few years, Bajas are going to become few and far between to grab a hold of and go get them while you can, especially if they're rust-free and you can build them and make them uh, pretty fun to hit the streets with. This episode is brought to you by VW Trends Magazine, the magazine for the people, by the people, back on the street again after a long hiatus, their third issue coming up soon, and I have a strong feeling that you're going to see some coverage of one crazy weekend. So make sure you guys go and support VW Trends Magazine by going to vwtrendsmagazine.com. Subscribe now so that you don't miss an issue, and check out some of the most cutting-edge VW coverage that's on the scene today. If you guys follow the boys from Ross Wolf, they're doing their cross-country trek this week. So make sure you check them out on Instagram. Look at their Facebook page. They're headed to Florida Bug Jam this weekend, and they're going to be out there selling some wares. They were headed out, and I was stuck here, so I sent them with some swag to give away to some people. So make sure you hit up Ross Wolf on their Instagram and tell them you're a listener to Let's Talk Dubs and kick down with the swag that Bill T sent. I sent some special items with them, some limited edition items. So if you go to their booth at the Florida Bug Jam and you say, hey, man, I listened to Bill on Let's Talk Dubs. It's where I heard about you guys. He said you got something special for me. You guys will receive a limited edition. Do I need sick? That's Let's Talk Dubs. Dope stuff that's always out there hitting the streets. I sent them out with stickers, some shirts, a various assortment of different things. Go buy Ross Wolf at the Florida Bug Jam. Check them out. If you see them anywhere this weekend, go check them out. Let them know you heard about on Let's Talk Dubs. They'll go ahead and set you up with some free swag. Speaking of Ross Wolf, they just set me up. You guys know my last motor's outfitted and kid with some Ross Wolf stuff. My boys from over here in Vegas manufacture some dope VW parts cutting edge top of the line the latest thing i just got from there's a 36 millimeter stainless crank pulley bolt and it's a billet 17-4 that's a type 630 stainless steel that's got the yield strength four times higher than three 300 series stainless with stronger and smoother rolled threads anybody that knows anything knows you want your threads rolled not cut it also has been broached for a 3 8 ratchet to fit on for doing your timing and, and adjusting your valves make sure you guys check it out it's a super rad pulley bolt and i got Got mine so you should get yours so go to rosswolf.com and check it out to support the podcast go to letstalkdubs.com click on the merch tag and pick out some merch order some shirts to support your boy a couple shirts i got on back order i've got them coming in now and we're going to be getting ready to hit some long sleeves up in the next two weeks also if you've got some questions problems or challenges with your volkswagen or just want to share some information about your scene don't forget shoot me an email at bill at letstalkdubs.com or you can DM me on Instagram, also message me on Facebook. But without a doubt, send me some information. Send me a letter. We'll get it read online. We'll help you solve your VW problem. 
Or if you've got a quandary, you know what? We might start the judge's corner where you give me your beef and I'll sell it for you with what you got going on with some of the VW scene. I know there's lots of fun stuff always going on, but listen, whatever Uncle Bill can do to help you out, man, that's what I'm here for. Without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with Michael Squire, the Baja Bug movie on Let's Talk Dubs. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, back in June, it was when MP, MP had an open house and it was bugging weekend. While I was there at the open house, I ran into uh, Michael Squire. Now, Michael Squire has been working on a documentary. He's a filmmaker out of Southern California, and he's working on a documentary called The Baja Bug Movie. So on today's show, I'd like to welcome Michael Squire to the podcast. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we first crossed paths down at the MP, uh, the the MP open house, and I saw you had a little setup there with your with your sunrise bug, your uh, your yep. multicolored seventies survivor, right? I'm th- thinking that's what it is. Yep. So yeah, so that car um, has a whole story in itself. Um, well, that car was originally found by my friend in Fallbrook, and we. Uh, we brought it out. It was left for dead. No engine, no transmission. It had been used for storage, so they painted the windows black. And we took it to a buddy's shop, um, JDR One Services in, in San Clemente, and he came out and he's all, where did you find this bug? This is the bug my dad and I built in the 70s as a pre-runner for our race car. Oh, get out of here. So they had a paint shop and they painted race cars. That was what they did as business. And so they had painted themselves and built it, father and son, to be their pre-rider and they used it all the way up until um i think the early 2000s <clears throat> when jimmy's dad passed away and then the car had gotten sold and long story short it got lost until you know 20 some years later or almost 20 years later when i found it and or, uh, actually my friend douglas found it um and showed it to me and i was like all right let's let's do it and, and so uh, who, who was the original owner of that the so the original owner was uh yeah jimmy he um he owns a, a shop, little shop out of San Clemente, JDR One Services. Um, him and his dad had a, a paint shop for years, and they did a lot of stuff. And then uh, he does he does amazing wiring. Like anyone who's ever looked under the hood of the Sunrise One will attest to the the wiring job he can do on a on a bug. It's uh, I've it I've never seen anything like it. He's got OCD in the perfect way. Oh, that's good. That's good. And so <laughs> the way we typically start out the podcast, because I want to get into the movie and the, the inspiration behind the movie, but, you know, and, and I know you're an enthusiast, and the way we typically start everything off is, what's your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? So I, as a kid, remember camping in Baja with my dad. He had a, a 73 Westphalia. And I remember actually going shopping to buy a Westphalia. He wanted a 73 specifically. It was in the, the early 90s. And I remember camping in, in Baja and that, and that being some of the, the best childhood memories I had. Yeah. Um, fast forward, you know, 20 some years, and I'm deep into a career that I have, you know, I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, easy. And um, we had just moved 
into Laguna Niguel and I dr- keep driving down this one, you know, the street to my house and I see this little blue buggy parked on the side of the street and it, one day it had a for sale sign on it. I drove past it a couple of times and one t- I was driving past and I stopped and talked to the guy and ended up talking to the guy's friend. turns out, um, but long story short, I ended up buying the bug. Um, and the guy I bought it from was a good friend of mine, Douglas, who's very big into Volkswagen's um, his Instagram vintage buggy. Um, and he's been responsible for bringing a lot of Volkswagens back to life. Yeah. Um, so this this little buggy ended up bringing it back to life, rebuilt it, had to do a new pan, a whole bunch of work to it over the years I've had it. And I love it. And I, I just found out a little more to the story. So I never knew exactly what it was. And mm-hmm. for the longest time, I thought it was a Dean Jeffries. Um, and I was actually just talking to Jim Chamberlain and showed it to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. That's a Dean Jeffries body that was given to George Barris. And Barris made a copy And before he made the 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 model T-Bug, the T-Bug. Yeah, the T-Buggy. Or it's a... Yeah, the T-Buggy. Sorry. Um, so it's a, a George Barris copy of a Dean Jeffries body. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it kind of has some Stingray lines in there. It's a, it's an interesting little buggy, but I love it to death. Um, and that really sparked my newfound love with Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with my friend Douglas, we had kind of bought a few Bajas together, and I really kind of started to – getting more into them and that's when he called me about the sunrise one and through bringing that back to life and seeing the story that that had and and that it was more than just a car you know the way that when jimmy helped me bring it back to life seeing the connection he had with the car that was rekindling that relationship he had with his dad yeah you know it really showed me that there was something beyond just a car i mean them as a car is is an amazing thing you know, what they're able to do, what they have done is bar none. But then you look a little deeper into the, the emotional connection there. I mean, even if you look back to like some of the early movies where you have like, look at Herbie. Yeah. I mean, that's a car that came to life. I mean, you look at all these bugs, they all have such personality. They're all alive. You know, they're all finicky. Like when I go to start my car in the morning, if it's cold, it doesn't want to let me open the door. You know, yeah. it's an old grumpy old man in the morning. And, uh, you know, that really showed me kind of the depth that these cars have. And that kind of sparked that initial thought. Um, albeit it kind of stirred around for a number of years until the pandemic hit. And I really had some time to, to sit down and think about things. And that's when the idea for this film that had been going around for years in my head kind of came to, to fruition and I was I made a there was a very defining moment where I made a commitment to go forward with the film um, it was in April and it was one of those I can remember this specific moment and I committed 100% I was like alright you know I won't be able to live with myself if I don't do this it's been going around my head for 4 or 5 years it's going to drive me crazy if I don't do it Yeah. so I just at that point said alright let's do it and just committed 100% and I've been on that path ever since and now you know but one of the interesting things with the vw story in and of itself is it's so multifaceted and and when i started the podcast you know i just i i listened to podcasts and so i thought i wanted to find one on volkswagens i found a couple and they really just didn't hit the mark and i thought you know what i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna make a i'm gonna do my own right so i decide i'm gonna make my own podcast 
And I kind of had no direction as to where I wanted to go, but I knew some of my favorite things were whenever I crossed paths with some of the, you know, some of these early guys that are in the scene, my favorite thing is to dig into these stories because as much as it's, there's a lot of crossover with what's happening today, they were on the forefront of so much happening then, but it's just such a cool thread the way everything goes because you find that there's so many overlaps in our lives and their lives. And, and the process is about this individuality that, that comes out in the vehicle that they have. And, and the stories are what just make it so great, you know, and I'm, and I'm super stoked that, that you're working on this project because I think it's a story that has to be told. I mean, truth be told, I wasn't a huge Baja guy and super involved in Baja <laughs> stuff until I started like, you know, the first, the first Volkswagen I ever, I ever rode in was a Baja bug, you know, and my buddy Pete and I mean, my buddy, Chris, um, Rich Petrie was my buddy and we, you know, we were delivering pizzas at a place and he had one with a little bug eye kit on it. And, and I thought like, man, this thing's kind of goobery. And then we took it for a ride and I was like, man, this thing's super fun, man. It's like, you can just sling this thing around and, you know, but you know, starting out with that, which was like basically a stock bug with a Baja kit on it. So it had big tires in the back, skinnies in the front, you know, Jackman wheels on it, but it was basically a stock beetle. And, yeah. and it was like, but through this body kit, you transform it into this off-road machine, and you really didn't do anything other than you know cut it up a little bit and modify it. But from there, springboards everything. So many things springboard off of that, and and that's the amazing part with all of this. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, if the the story of the bug itself is an amazing story, you know, from its start, depending on where you take the story, either from the 20s or you know the 30s. Um, it's an amazing story that comes, you know, that almost died when it came to America. Right. It, I mean, it was coming to America in the fifties, the time when nobody wanted a small economical car from Germany. Like that was the last thing anyone wanted. You know, they wanted hot rods. They wanted American muscle. They wanted, and the, I really wish that I could have been a fly on the wall in that room when you had the ad agency, you know, Doyle and Burbach, DDB in, in New York, convince the Germans to use that ad, that ad campaign where, you know, just, just imagine this, you know, you're in the fifties in New York at a Jewish ad agency. They're trying to convince a German car company to use humor and make fun of their car. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they got that over, but thank God they did because Volkswagen would not have survived without it. And the ad world would not have been the same without it either because both of those companies changed the world from that. And it really was a, a, a great thing. And, and then it's, but the, the bug has transformed so many different times and then it, it took its, its next life in the kind of counterculture movement that was kind of spawned in San Francisco. Yeah. And then, you know, there were so many of these cars that, you know, they get wrecked and you'll ultimately need to find something to do with them. And that's, Ultimately, where, you know, the Myers makes comes from, you know, and even before that, the Burroughs just kind of chopping these things up and making something out of them. Yeah. And then you get it's it's incredible the way that, you know, from, you know, like it's like the it's it's the the VW is like this continuing Phoenix that like when you think it's dead, it recreates into something else, you know, 100 percent. And I that's mean, that's kind of the beauty of it is it's the car that'll never die. It, well, it's going to be the cockroaches and the bug left on the earth. I mean, you look at the genesis of of VW, 
as a company was after World War II, like literally building the building the thing back from the ashes, from the building, from the manufacturing plant being destroyed. The Allied forces going in there saying, "Okay, listen, we got to put this thing together so the people of Germany." are able to have some sort of industry here and maybe this will help them. So between the allied forces helping put that back on track and then it being run by military leaders in the beginning, like kind of getting this thing on board. And then here it is. We just wiped out the Germans and like, all right, we're going to import the car. And like you, like you said, with, with the ad agency, just the ads themselves was changing the way advertising was done. 100%. You know, the, the self deprecating, uh, ads mocking the beetle, but really selling you the car at the same time through its humility, you know? So yeah, there was, that was something that was revolutionary at the time. I mean, now thinking back, it's something that is commonplace. You know, you think about Apple thing, doing things like that and, and other big companies, but back then in the fifties, nobody did that. Like they were the crazy guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's it, you know I have a, I have a I have a history in, in advertising too, so I I enjoy that part of it as well, and it's 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 one of those things that the further you look into the story, the more interesting it gets, and when you add the off road component, it just gets even more interesting. I mean, the thought that guys in the '60s would I mean take pretty much a stock bug and go race a thousand miles yeah. in the Mexican desert, you know, just completely uncharted terrain in a stock Volkswagen pretty much. And that's that kind of adventure spirit that the Baja bug was kind of meant for, you know, it was able to capture that and really take you anywhere and do things that people never thought it was able to do. Yeah. What, what's amazing is, is the, the genesis of the story and like, where do you give credit to where it begins? You know, and, and as we take this thing for granted that we've seen, through our lives growing up that a Baja bug's just been there, but the genesis of how it all came to be was really interesting. You know, from, from the guys working at Myers to Gary Emery can't afford a, a buggy, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's, it's a story that needs to be told. And this little innocent car, this 40 horsepower vehicle has just spawned. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a multi multi-million dollar deal the baja 1000 all the off-road racing all of the sanctioned off-road racing spurred from really the beetle oh yeah i mean you you wouldn't have off-roading as it is today if it wasn't for the baja bug and you know the myers manx i mean the myers manx really pioneered it in the first years but then the baja bug took over and really evolved into that kind of off-road racer i mean you wouldn't have the people flocking to the desert now and the ATVs and UTVs and every toy they can get their hands on if it wasn't for the Baja bug pioneering that. And it's, it's really interesting. You know, the, the beginning of the Baja bug, there's kind of multiple beginnings. Um, right. The Genesis kind of, you have the start of it with the beginning racing of the Mexican 1000 um, where they're racing pretty much in a stock sedan class as bugs, you know, and they're, they're very, they're modified, but limitedly modified. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that kind of is coinciding with, you know, right after that is when you get Gary Emery and his dad starting to build the first kind of official Baja bug, you right. know, with, with putt fenders. And, and that's kind of going on in 68 at the same point. And mm-hmm. so those kind of, there's kind of those two side-by-side Genesis. And 
kind of prior to that, people had been taking chopped bugs and racing them, but that wasn't really, it was just kind of, it was wrecked. So let's cut it off and go play with it. Um, but Gary's was really the first finished Baja bug. Um, and that's really where it took off from there is because when he finished that bug, um, Miller and Havens were, uh, Drino Miller and Sanford Havens were working for Bruce Meyer at the time. Um, right. it, you know, Gary Emery was working at Chip Iverson at the parts department. And so they would come over and, and see what he was doing. And he would show them the project and show them what's going on. And, um, when he had finished it, they had asked him, you know, are you going to make a mold? Are you going to, you going to sell this? And he said, no, he didn't have any plans. He just wanted to have something he could take his family out into the dunes with his brother who had a, a Myers makes. Yeah. And so they used that and they took molds and then they, um, they got their own car and really developed the molds. And, and that's where you come with that first bug eye kit. Um, and that really kind of, made it easy for people to make their own Baja bug. Um, and then you have that kind of second generation with the wide eye kit with Burley Burlisle, who really took that and it, it really blew up after that. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that and, and hear the stories from these guys. It's really, it's really amazing. Well, and one of the things that the connections that a lot of people don't make is that, you know, Neil Emery given, you know, working on the car for his son, Gary, you know, the concept of creating the Baja is all hot rodding techniques. Oh, hundred percent. You know, Neil was a legendary hot rod builder and that's where it all comes from is that, that hot rod. But people don't even make that. They don't even bridge that. Some people don't bridge the gap. You know what I'm saying? Which is what's amazing because that, you know, the, the hot rodding aspect, they look at hot rodding and Volkswagen as two separate worlds, but it's actually one came from the other, you know? And so, it, it that to me was fascinating a fascinating part of the story and not to mention taking something that's you know an off-road adventure even today right if you want to go buy a new off-road machine it's going to cost you upwards of 20,000 or more so it's not an every man's game but the beetle you know the off-road beetle wasn't every man's game you know anybody yeah, I mean, that wanted something yeah. could buy one 100% and the thing is is if you compare a bob bug now to you know a UTV you're going to go finance you can get a Baja bug for a lot cheaper and you're going to have a lot more fun in that car. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's going to go up in value versus your UTV, which is only going to go down in value. Plus if you're financing it, you're going to play, pay interest and look at a Baja bug. How can you ride in that and not smile? You know? <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's so much about, about the VW that, that has so many different, layers of excitement what's some of the most interesting things or what's some of the most surprising things that you found out that you didn't know as you started to go down this path like people that might have been connected or you know just things that you found that were pretty surprising to you that you had no idea were connected um you know surprising i'm not sure um i mean i guess i haven't really been surprised by anything yet because I guess the way I go into a film is with a certain intentional ignorance. Mm -hmm. So I know, you know, when I went into the film, I knew, of course, I know a certain amount of the history of the Baja bug, but I wasn't sitting doing hours and hours of research. Sure. Um, intentionally. So, because I like to go and learn as I'm going through, because there's sometimes where, you know, you may read something somewhere. And then when you're hearing the story firsthand from the person that story was about, it's a little different. And there may be details that come out that, 
you you want to follow that rabbit hole down there. And right. if you go into it with kind of a preconceived notion, you're not so open to those opportunities. You're more looking at it as what's the next question I'm going to ask and where do I need this person to go versus my style is more, I want to hear what they have to say. I'm going to let them talk and let them tell me their story. You know, this film is the story of the Baja bug told from the people who are there, the people who have been a part of it. You know, I'm a lot of people as, as I'm going through this and shooting or asking, you know, who's doing the narration. And, I, and it's funny to me because, and I realize why they asked this question because their only frame of reference for a film similar to this would be something like dust to glory mm -hmm. where those are very heavily narrated it's scripted and and that's that's not my style and that's not the style of the film and it's one of those things that it's as i go i learn more and as i learn more then i go into different rabbit holes and it's it's really uncovering different little stories and it's not it it's those little personal stories that really bring it to life um yeah and i think that i think each you know, it's it's the it's the sum of all its parts. You know, every person's story collectively tells the Baja story, and so I think you're right with. So what you're saying is it's narrated by the players in the game. Oh, 100 percent. You know, it's I'm I, I'm not a part of the film. I'm more just a facilitator of helping that story get out. Right. You know, the reason I'm making this film is because I originally wanted to watch the documentary about Baja books, and nothing existed. Right, <laughs> And that's just culminated in my mind for so long. And it was, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was like, all right, this story needs to be told. And it should have been told a long time ago, to be honest. But there's no question. I'm thankful it wasn't. And, and what I think is, I, I think in the, if you, as you search off-road history and off-road documentaries, you'll find Dust of Glory on any day, on any Sunday, you'll find all these things and they all just seem to skip the Baja bug. It, it's a blurb. It's like, yeah, the class 11, blah, blah, or the, you know, class five or, you know, whatever. It's just a quick little touch on it. And then it moves on to the trophy trucks, the big, you know, the big ticket exactly. items, the everything else. But the, you know, the cult following that's started igniting a little, a few years ago. I know that there's a Baja that, that just recently sold for upwards of $70,000 and it was sitting on Jackman's and it was, you know, a friend of mine called me and he said, yeah, I finished this car, went to this meet and some guy, you know, but, and it's a really, it's, it's, it's another thing showing that the history from the seventies and the eighties and, and, and that, that time is so sought after now that things that we took for granted a few years ago, even 10, 15 years ago are starting to be valuable to people to capture oh, yeah. an essence and a time. I mean, I've got a modern day off-road machine, but a Baja bug is something different because it's, it's unique. It's as individual as you are. Cause anybody goes to the, the, the can-am or the player shop and you can buy one of those that everybody has. Exactly. But grabbing your bug and the, the, the minute differences from a, you know, a 56 all the way to a 79 are so varied and you know it, it's you can put your own individuality on it, and that's what people do. That's the that's the VW life is to get your own creativity. So I think uh, you know I'm excited to see the film come together. I'm interested to learn some stuff that I haven't seen, and and really see be put together with people really, um, you know, because the VW is just it's it's the starting for everybody. 
for so many, I don't want to say everybody, but for so many people that are in the off-road world, they all started with a, a 16 car, a, a, you know, a, a, a class 11, a class five, wh- whatever their most basic entry, but they all usually start in the VW chassis or engine and it goes from there. And as you want more speed, more power, and you feel like you've done what you could in that class, you move up, but they all began there. You know, even, you know, you look at everybody in history has, has been involved. You from Paul Newman to Dan Gurney and all these guys in between, you know, even George yeah. Barris with a buggy and, you know, exactly. a, a lot of these hot rod guys would use VW platform stuff for these wild kit cars that they had. So, Oh, hundred percent. And it's, I mean, it's great. You know, one thing you were touching on a second ago is kind of how they kind of skip across the, the Baja bugs and just go right for the trophy trucks. I was sitting down with Southfish uh, the other week talking about, you know, Baja bugs and, and his story with score and everything. And, and he was saying something pretty interesting about how, you know, when the Baja bugs go through, whether it's, you know, 516 or class 11, these guys are facing a war, you know, it's, it's a battle out there. They're going through, you know, four foot trenches that these trophy trucks have left behind. Yeah. They're pushing through, you know, 30 hours just to finish, you know, people have left and they're still pushing through. Those are the, the true warriors. And if you, if you talk to any of the trophy truck drivers, they have nothing but the utmost respect for the Baja bug guys, because those guys are the guys that are in it for the heart. And it's, it's really a special thing to see, the the drivers really you know they're putting everything into it you know you look at eric solorzano who's been racing forever and i mean that guy works a full-time job and then he goes to the shop and works another full-time job yeah and then he goes and kills it off-road you know he's won more baja 1000s in a class 11 than anyone else and it's it's crazy and then you see people like uh like alex gonzalez and gha who actually went the other way he started in trophy trucks and now he's driving a class 11. Really? Yeah. So it's a pretty cool, they actually are kicking ass. Um, and what's they, his motivation for going backwards in classes? You know, I will have to ask him cause I haven't actually sat down with an interview with him yet. Um, we just keep missing with schedules. Um, but he's been going backwards and he went from trophy truck and now he's full bore into class 11 and he's been killing it. They won the Baja 400. They won the Baja 500. And, you know, the races have gotten tougher and tougher. And it's getting more difficult for Class 11s to finish. And for a little while, Class 11s weren't finishing. So those guys, when they finished the Baja 400, they were the first Class 11 to finish a race in, in quite a little while. Um, but it's, it's cool to see more love going into these Baja bugs. And people really are starting to take take to them um you know with alex they're jumping from a, you know a trophy truck to a baja bug and really prospering taking what he's learned there and, and transferring it and, and then you have people like blake wilkie who's you know started his with having fun in his baja bug you know yeah. that was really where he started and then he turned into racing and he took what he knew from motocross racing and has really been able to leverage that in racing class 11s and there's a lot there's a lot of people coming into it and it's really cool to see you know more and more people get into it wow. and like and especially in the you know in the more vintage stuff like there's even a, an oval window that's racing in class 11 there, there's a you know the negrete boys race an oval window in uh in a 516 and they actually ironically they still run jackman wheels they have a pair of aluminum jackmans 
that they run on their race car. The only other aluminum jack ones I've seen still rolling besides the ones on my Sunrise one. Well, you know, I think part of the reason might be it's, you know, money can get you to first place in off-road in class one. I don't care who you are. If you've got enough money to build the right car with enough technology, you drive through most of the stuff. You know what I mean? Yep, totally. But, I mean, more power can get you into trouble, too. Well, right, so, right. But what I'm you saying. You have to have a driver, but yes. But what I'm agreed. saying is, like, you take guys and you put them all in class 11 cars where it's like, no matter what, you're going to have it floorboarded. Now it's a race of attrition. It's survival. Can you make it to the end? Can you drive the car, avoid the pitfalls that are going to take you out, you know, and you and you get a top speed of 60? You know what I mean? Like, top speed of 60, you're, you're pushing. Yeah. You're, 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 you're hoping for 30. Well, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm saying it's, it's like these, these cars only go so fast. You're, you are, it becomes driver skill to be able to A, survive and B, finish, you know? And that's oh, really 100%. for a lot of them. But I think in the lower classes, the class 11 for sure, it's really dependent upon driver skill to get it through there because the car is as basic a car as you get. You know, and even with even modern day cars now, you go buy a new Porsche, you can take to the track and outrace a lot of guys in a manual car that doesn't have a bunch of electronic assistance because the car does the thinking for you and keeps you from wadding it up. To whereas you're out there on an early, you're out there on a track on an early 911 with no no Porsche stability management, and you're going to bring the back end around pretty quick. Because yeah, the computer's not controlling stuff, you know. There's something to be said for a driver, man. You know, 100%. if you know how to control a car, you don't want that computer in there. That's only going to hamper your ability. And you know, I was just down at the the Nora 500, and there was, you know, in that race, there's a, a wide variety of cars, and it's really cool to see. You know, you have like a, a nine, a Porsche 964 racing against, you know, a 60s Baja Bug. And one thing I did notice in there, there was a, a Porsche Cayenne racing. They had, I mean, they'd probably put a hundred thousand dollars in this car and time after time, you know, they keep, they had issues. They ended up blowing a transmission, but you see this car broken down on the side of the road and you see this little Baja bug with these 70 year old guys just cruising past them. Right. And it's, there's some, <laughs> there's something to be said about that. You know, yeah. the no. simplicity of the bug is kind of, where the magic is you know all the computers in the world won't help you when you know you have an electrical issue yeah. that simplicity of the volkswagen is really where its strong point is yeah it's you know and that that was really my point for my conversation was that you know the baja bug like the basic of basic really tests the driver and i think that's the fun part because a it's the affordability of it like you can get into a class 11 relatively cheap versus a trophy truck oh yeah. i mean relatively cheap you're talking pennies on the dollar <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying and so being able to pull pull into that and get your and get your your appetite wet with just getting out there being able to get behind the wheel and drive a car that's the biggest difference and, and by being able to do that you can actually experience it and 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 t reading the terrain becomes more sensitive you know looking at oh, your totally. approach angles which which line you're taking i mean it's it, it seems to be pretty exciting and i see the resurgence coming back you know a lot of people are starting to i mean i just picked up a class 11 quote unquote street car right so it's a class 11 lifted 
69 bug and I've got a big monster motor in it and I'm looking forward to taking that thing out. There's a, you know, Baja society has got a big meetup in December that I'm looking forward to heading to. But, uh, I mean, I, I want, I've had, a, a, you know, hundreds of Volkswagens. I've never owned a Baja that I was driving. You know, I may have had one passing hands in between a lot of purchases of cars or whatever the case is, but right now, I'm actively looking for some hidden gem somewhere in somebody's backyard here in Vegas that may have some history to it that I can slap oh, yeah. together and get it out there because there's so much of that. They were so inexpensive and they were such a fun thing. And when you were done with it, a lot of the perception was like it wasn't really worth anything because technology has moved on or this thing has passed. And so there's so many of them still hiding out there in backyards. Oh, totally. And, you know, one funny thing is, is you know, so many people – get up in arms about you know chopping up a car you know but there's been a lot of boss where i've seen they were the reason why cars were saved you know old oval windows that were originally turned into a bob that people have been able to bring back to life yeah whereas you know if it was just left it would have been rotten but because it was turned into a body uh, i mean a baja you had all the pieces of the body and you had everything you needed to bring it back to life and you know if you look at bajas those are really just it's a second life for a Volkswagen that was ultimately at the end of its life. It's just kind of that Phoenix goes back to that. And, you know, I got to say, you have to own a Baja, but don't be in a rush. You know, I owned a number of Bajas before I really connected with one, like the Sunrise one. And, like, when we brought this back, we did it all period correct. So, like, Jimmy had the original CB radio for it in his garage still that he had saved. He had the original Fram uh scoop for it that he had saved in there so it wasn't really until i found this car and that story behind it that i really got so deeply in love with with baja bugs that it connected me and you know i've owned a a number of of really amazing cars before that i kind of wish i had now but there's this is one car that i'll die with you know i've had people that offer me insane sums of money for it or like you know, I have original aluminum Jackmans on there. I had someone at one of these meets offer me, you know, a sizable amount for them. And yeah. I would never sell them. You know, it's like I can't – like I was talking to Harry Jackman. He doesn't even have a set of these. Like I can't go buy another set of these. You know, even if I wanted to, I'd have to look for years and years and years. And still then I'd have to get lucky. Yeah. It's, but it's it, – it, it's those things that were dime a dozen back in the day. Technology moved on. Everybody trashed their old ones. And now who held on to these ones that were going to be worth something one day because they were just not available anymore. So that's, oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. And when you, when you found sunrise one, they were on the car still. No, not at all. Uh, so Jimmy had taken those off when the car was sold and he had stored them in his own garage. Oh, wow. So when I brought the car back, he's like, Hey, guess what I found? And he pulls these out and I'm like, what? And he showed me pictures of them on the car back when they had the car. Oh, wow. So he had saved, like, the car meant that much that he had saved these for, you know, 20 years. Sure. No, and, that's... like, the, it had, in, inside it had, you know, badges from, you know, like, the Parker 500 and from, like, the Baja 1000, you know, because it was a printer for years and years. So they, Jimmy kept those badges because I, those are, he needed to keep something. If I'm keeping the car, he can at least keep the badges. Right. <laughs> did he try to, did he want to buy the car for me when he saw it? Um, I think he did, but I think he was, it was a point where, you know, I was, he wasn't going to be able to bring it back on his own. So us bringing it back and and me financing the 
it coming back to life, mm-hmm. I think was, was a nice thing for him. And he knew how much I loved the car. So he knew that I was going to do it justice. And, and that's when I started an Instagram for the account. Cause I, I'm a photographer. I've had a camera in my hand since I was three years old and I just, you know, started shooting photos and I've shot photos every time I take it out, you know, I still shoot film. And, um, so I just started, I was like, you know what, why not? I'll toss it up. And so, you know, that got a little bit of a following and, and that getting its support combined with kind of me learning the story of the sunrise one and, and seeing what Baja's were and really learning about them was really the, the impetus for the film, you know, the starting of that idea of doing a documentary about Baja books. Now, what was, what was the process that you took? I mean, to start to go down this path, I mean, who was, what was, what's your concept for the film overall? Like, how do you want viewers to see this picture? Um, I mean, it's more of, it's, it's something to sit and experience, Mm -hmm. you know, it's most of the, I've done three feature films, three feature documentaries before this, and those were on very different subjects. Um, this is the first film that I'm independently financing and, and doing it on something that's dear to my heart. Um, and it's really one of those things that it's, it's telling the story of the Baja book, you know, from its beginning to where it is now the evolution you know all the way up to you know what blake's doing now building a, a trophy truck baja bug which would be something that when you know all that coverage of the trophy trucks come by see a baja bug out there right something special. <laughs> yeah that's uh that's definitely gonna be something that that uh that looks good i think the, you know the interesting part is they they make these baja bug kits that i mean that i've seen them where they go on different chassis of whatever but it's and and i think what's interesting is they're so the baja bug is so unique that putting that body on a completely foreign chassis lets you know what that thing's been built to do oh yeah i mean if you look at like um like rugged radios um greg up there Mm -hmm. they have a whole garage of toys but they have utvs that they've rebodied as baja bugs or at least they have one i think they have two um but you look at it and it's, I mean, it's a Baja bug, yeah. but it's got, you know, the undercarriage and everything of a, of a UTV, but it's still a Baja bug. It still looks like a Baja bug. It still has that character, albeit a little distorted, but it's still got that spirit and yeah. it's cool. And, you know, one thing that in my journeys, you know, I've been, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and I had one person reach out to me and he had um, been collecting an original miller haven's bug eye kit mm-hmm. so we've been talking and i was gonna go buy from him and i ended up going out there and i get there and you know it's it's all in good shape I'm looking at it but there's no rear fenders and i'm like what but in the photo i saw something that resembled rear fenders but it was kind of behind stuff and, and i get there he's like so i don't have the rear fenders but what i do have is these and they're the original molds for the miller haven's rear fenders and i also have the original molds for the rear cowl so all I need is the original molds for the front piece and the front fenders, and I have all the original Miller Havens molds from the very first Baja. Wow! I mean, that's but that's a piece of Baja history right there. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge piece of history that you know at some point they became like, yeah, nobody's doing this anymore, and they just kind of pitched them, and that, and that's the history exactly. that's totally worth saving, you know? Exactly, and that's that's kind of what you were what you're talking about just a minute ago, where people thought they weren't worth anything, and like. You know, these ended up in a garage in Orange County, you know, 
and they needed to be gone because he needed space. Yeah, that's. Uh, that, I, I had recently received a phone call from someone that had access to some fiberglass molds for some 80s aftermarket products that were made for the street VW scene. And I said, well, he says, yeah, I don't know who'd be interested in them. I said, I'd be interested in them. What are you going to do, make them? I said, I'd be interested in them for the historical value and also the fact that you could reproduce. You could still make the same parts from the same molds if you wanted to, you know? Oh, 100%. But I think... Yeah, I have no... I have no plans to build a Baja yet, you know, out of it, but it's like I had to get it to preserve that history, you yeah. know? Oh, it's, no. It can't get lost. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, um, Bill, so in the process of making a film like this, because you've made some documentaries before, how many hours of footage do you typically get <laughs> to make a movie? Um, so this one's a little different. Um, you know, the way I would normally go about a film – is different than the way I went about this one. Normally, when you go about a film, you know, you would do a lot of pre-production, a lot of planning, and really sit down and, and develop a story. And with this one, it was more of I had made the decision to commit to the project, and I started reaching out to people that I knew on social media. And and one of the first people I reached out to was Donovan from Baja Society. Mm-hmm. And I think I reached out to him on a Wednesday and he's like, yeah, you know, we have a, a meet coming up this weekend. Um, come on out. Love to have you out. And so it was one of those like, Oh, um, I was kind of planning on pre-production for like a month or so, you know, get everything rolling, get, but it was one of those things where it was, all right, let's do it. And I put everything together and with about like three days of planning, got everything going and got all my gear together that, you know, everything I thought I might need Yeah. and went out there. Obviously I brought two tons of gear when I didn't need anywhere near that, but <laughs> yeah, for it sure. Was, you know, it's been a very, it's been a learning curve, you know, figuring out exactly what I need, especially, you know, going down and shooting the Baja 1000, the Baja 500, you know, when you're in the middle of nowhere and your camera goes wrong, you know, something goes wrong with your camera what do you do? You right. know, you have to either be able to fix it or have a backup and figure out there's, there's 20 million different little things that can go wrong. And if one of those goes wrong, you're in the middle of Mexico with no reason to be there anymore. And on, on typical documentaries before we're talking before, obviously the, the, the process is different with this one, with this one, I, I kind of find it like my podcast. As I do podcasts, people say, oh, you know, and then there was this guy, and then there was this guy involved, and that's another it's, – it's like being a detective. There's another lead to follow. Exactly, and that's exactly how it's been going this whole time. And, it, you know, when I started, I had, you know, sort of reached out to certain people, and I reached out to Blake Wilkie early on, and he's been a huge help. You know, he jumped on to help produce the film. He's had a lot of connections that have helped me get the film going a lot faster mm-hmm. um and there's been a lot of other connections that i didn't even realize i had you know i worked in the commercial industry for a long time in production i worked on a few feature films and music videos and stuff and i worked for a company called bandito brothers and uh i worked on a whole bunch of, bunch of stuff and i didn't ever you know that was 10 years ago and i'm reading this white paper about dust to glory and i get down to the post-production section i'm like wait a second I know that guy. I used to work for him. Right. And so I reached out to uh, some of my old friends and turns out I know some people that worked on Dust of Glory and they've kind of helped me along the way. And, you know, I've reached out to Marty Fiocco along the way and, and a lot of people that have kind of been there in this kind of situation have had a lot of 
words of wisdom. Um, and it's one of those things that definitely you're playing detective and that's part of the fun of it. And that's where I kind of, that goes back to going into with a certain intentional, you know, ignorance because I want to play that detective. I don't want to have it written out for me. It's, it's a story that needs to evolve because the history that has been told of the Baja bug so far is kind of bits and pieces here and there and, and hearsay. And there hasn't really been that, definitive what's the story and that's kind of what i'm trying to get from everyone that i can that's that's still around that was there in the beginning and that has played a pivotal role in the story of the baja book you know whether it's you know like pepe rodriguez like if you talk to him he's got some great stories but him and mickey thompson essentially developed what was the beginning of class 11 as its own class sure and and then you you know you go back and you have you know like uh, like Ed Perlman who was there the first one his dad was the one who organized the first Mexican One Thousand and you go talk to people like Jim Chamberlain who you know worked for Bruce Myers and helped big build the uh, you know Big Red and all these these you know legends and hearing the stories from them and then hearing them connect me with other people you get a whole different sense of the story versus trying to piece it together from you know, magazine articles or little pieces here and there. Yeah. And, and, and I think the problem with the magazine articles for research, the magazine articles are talking to a, 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 a segment of individuals that already knew the history. So there's no yeah. like to get you caught up on what's happening. So and from my standpoint of interviewing people, it's turned over so many new avenues as far as people to pursue for information that were there that never really got any credit, you know? Totally. And so. then there's also the one thing that's also nice is the people who were there, but it's kind of a witness who were there on the sidelines Yeah, and we're able to kind of see it from an outside perspective, which is not something you're always able to get. And I've been able to get kind of that both sides of that, you know, the, the firsthand perspective from the people who are building it and doing it, but also the, the people who were there, like at the first bug in who saw Gary Emery's bug, the very first time was out there, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, people who it has, inspired you know and talking to people like um like felix holst who was the the head designer for hot wheels for you know over a decade you know he can trace his roots to hot wheels directly from seeing a tamia baja bug kit when he was 10 years old in england yeah and you know imagine in you know when he was at hot wheels they brought back the baja bug and you know think about how many kids have had a Baja bug hot wheel. And that's inspired that next generation. And, and as you see people build them now, you know, you see their kids get into it and you have people that are already kind of generations deep, like the Negrete boys and like the, the Slettons who are, have been doing it, you know, t- decade and decade and generation to generation. It's really amazing to see. And like, even me with my son, you know, my son's 10 years old and, you know, he's kind of been into cars growing up and, you know, he was very into like the, the Japanese import cars and, you know, as I've been doing the film, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of over those. And he's really into Baja bugs and it's, yeah. it's cool to see, but there's something special about these cars. You know, even people who haven't owned one or, you know, everyone you talk to has a story about a bug, whether they owned one or growing up, their aunt had one or their neighbor had one. And every time they tell me these stories, whether it's at a gas station because they gave them a sticker or something, you can see the look in their eyes and the the fondness, and they they start smiling instantly. And 
what other car, what other thing in the world could do that? You know, nobody smiles at their toaster. Like, oh, that made the best toast ever. Like, nobody cares. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, a Baja bug is something that sticks with you for life. I mean, you told me yourself, you remember the first time you rode in a Baja bug. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you remember the first time you rode in a Ford Escort? I don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's something special about them. There, there's something magical about them, and it's it's really cool to see. And and uh, it's it's cool to see it affect different generations. You know, it's something that you know a five year old kid can connect with, or a fifty year old kid can connect with. And um, like when I was down at Nora Five Hundred, there was this team from Texas. And it's a couple of seven-year-old guys racing a Baja bug. And they finished it. They killed it. They were, like, the best thing ever. Like, just nothing but smiles, having the best time in their life. Right. And they didn't care. You know, they're just driving their Baja bug through Mexico. They couldn't have been anywhere else in the world that would have made them happier. Well, and I think part of it is the rawness of it. It's the hands-on, do-it-yourself, get-it-there-fix-it-yourself kind of guy that that really appreciates the Volkswagen in general, but even more the off-road experience of, you know, the Baja bug, which is which is what's opened it up to so many people. Now, with this, your idea for this film when it's done, and then I mean, like, what kind of timeline are you on, or when are you hoping that the film will be ready for release? And then is there a, is there a way for people like if you're self-funding this, do you have a Kickstarter? Do you have anything where people can help contribute to the cause? Uh, we will have soon. Um, so, you know, you can follow along on the Instagram, mm-hmm. um, the Baja Bug Movie. There's a website, BajaBugMovie.com. Um, and the timelines, we're, what we're planning on, we're planning on shooting until the end of December um, and then begin post-production in the beginning of the year. And we'll probably have a few pickup shots that we'll have to do in between there. Um, and then have kind of the early private screenings in probably april or may and then take it around to film festivals um and then after film festivals to distribution yeah i think uh i mean i mean a typical documentary some of them are typically now you're over an hour and a half you're close to two hours for a typical documentary i mean is that acceptable yeah so yeah i mean so that's going to be the big problem with this film is because i mean I'm shooting probably around. <laughs> there's layers. Yeah, there's <laughs> layers, man. Like even in my it podcast, is. they can go for hours because there's so many things you can deep dive into and just start really going over this these little details. So that's that's the big thing that would be impossible for me, like picking out what it is and how do you hone it down because there's there's so much to it, you know. Yes, there is, and. I mean, I've got probably close to a hundred hours of just interview alone at this point. I'm guessing by the time we're finished, we'll have anywhere from, you know, almost 200 hours of footage of just interviews. Um, and that's not to mention B roll and all kinds of other stuff. And we're, we've been shooting on, on an array of cameras. We've been shooting a lot of super eight. I'm, I'm a big fan of film. I'm, I kind of grew up shooting film. Uh I grew up shooting still photos with with 35 medium format my father was a photographer he was in the advertising world for a long time and my grandfather was a photographer so i kind of always grew up shooting film mm-hmm. um so a lot of this i'm shooting in you know super 8 or 16 millimeter but then we're shooting all the other stuff in all 6k raw um so the film will ultimately be delivered in in 4k 
Um, but the problem is, is I'm going to have so much of this afterwards that needs to be seen that I'm going to have to find a continuation, you know, whether it's a, a series or a second film or something, but there's, there's going to be so much that still needs to be seen with after the film that I'll have to find a life for it somewhere. Yeah. It's somehow it, that, and that's the, that's the part with, you know, from my standpoint, when I make the podcast, it's like, they've got to go at least an hour to get to at least an understanding of what's going on. And then even still, it's like, man, we can just keep going. We can keep digging into this thing. Um, I mean, for me, the fi- the film thing is, is exciting because I think everybody, you know, it's like film and rock and roll are the two things that I don't care who you are. Everybody wishes they were part of it or had something <laughs> going on with it. And I don't care who you are. You're like, yeah, no, not me. You know, I don't like to be everybody either wishes they were making movies or in movies or in a rock band or making music. And yeah, you know, with filmmaking, that's come more apparent since the rise of digital because everyone thinks that they're a professional photographer or a professional filmmaker because they can just grab a digital camera and go. But the second you hand them something with film in it, mm-hmm. they are clueless, you know, and that's a big difference is when I approach something, I approach it from a less is more standpoint. You know, I, I see something as done when you can't take anything from it. Um, you know, I, I'm a still photographer at heart. I went into filmmaking because I didn't want to ruin still photography for me. Um, ultimately, it always goes hand in hand, and I ended up being professional photographer as well. And so one thing that that has taught me is that, you know, with still photography, you have to tell a story in one frame. Right. And that can be a very big challenge. And with, you know, film and, and now video, you're doing it with 24 frames a second. And that can lend it to be long. And if someone doesn't necessarily have that background in storytelling, that background in, in filmmaking, it's going to keep going. And if you can't create one interesting frame that'll tell a story, why the hell am I going to watch 24 on a second? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, and there's, there's a lot of people who are out there making films. And, and you know, with this film... I'm putting my, you know, 30 plus years of experience into this and it's really a passion project and I'm putting, you know, my life savings into it and my entire life into it. And it's something that is going to live on hopefully longer than I and that people can enjoy for a long time to come. Um, You know, it's the Baja Bug is something special and with the film, I need to do it justice. And there's a there's a big weight on my shoulders with that. It is. It is. Now, do you know, so just kind of, uh, questions in general in respect to Baja Bugs doing doing the document like this. How many? I mean, obviously there was the first company that came out with the Baja kit. The guys that worked for Myers that broke off and did their thing. Yeah, Miller Havens. Um, oh, how many different companies? Yeah, made how many? Ma- and how oh, how God. many? And how fast? Because with Bruce <laughs> Myers, because fiberglass was like the fiberglass was essentially like the three D printing of the seventies, right, or the sixties. Yeah, I mean that was part of the downfall of Bruce Myers was people kept copying his bodies, and then the Bob bug came out, and you know you could copy that. And it's, I mean, if you go look through any old Hot BW's magazine you'll see, you know, half a dozen, if not a dozen different companies making Baja Bug kits. And it's, honestly, I don't, I have no clue the number, Um, but it wasn't a small number. I can tell you that. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many different kits, and then I mean, you're talking about ants and wheels, like so many different companies that were making stuff for Chevys or Ford or doing this for off road. We're like, oh, well, hey, the VW guys are doing it. We can modify this part and make it for a VW bug. You know, there was so. Oh many- yes. Yeah, as soon as off-road racing took off, you know, as soon as the Mexican 1000 and, and 67 started taking off in 68, it, it doubled or tripled in size. And, you know, by 69, 68, 69, you have manufacturers starting to make specialty parts, whereas before it was all stock, you know. So now you start getting a whole aftermarket, you know, industry yeah. based off of Baja bugs and, and dune buggies. And it really just flourished from there, you know, the seventies and, and still into the eighties. And then it seemed like it kind of tapered off a bit in the nineties and two thousands, but it's really, it's starting to make a, a big resurgence now, you know, it's, it's kind of had its peaks and valleys, but if you look at it now, even since I started this film, it's taken off. And it's, I mean, even if you look at the price of Baja bugs, you yeah, know, from they're moving. from a year ago, six months ago to now, they just keep going up. You couldn't give it's them like, away. Yeah. And yeah, now, exactly. Yeah, everybody's trying to get in on the game. And I think it's it's the resurgence of like, hey, this is fun. Here's a project. Here's a life-size project I can build with my kid, and we can go out and enjoy yeah. this thing, you know? And I think, I think that's the one thing that has been good from this pandemic is people realize they're tired of being miserable, you know? It's, yeah time to have some fun go live a little you know there's like if you uh i don't know if you follow idiot racing this uh-huh. guy mike out of uh florida that's yeah. exactly what he did during the pandemic he you know his life dream was to go race the Baja 1000 in a baja bug and so he set to building a baja bug to go race the Baja 1000 and i met him for the first time a little bit before the the baja 500 and he went and tried to go baja 500 and he didn't make it too far. He has an amazing story there. I mean, God, that he ended up getting his car got stolen. His team abandoned him, left the country before he even got back with the car. Like it's this whole crazy story. Sure. That, and but you know that was his dream to go race the Ball One Thousand, and having that time to kind of reflect gave him that opportunity to do it. And he's out here. I think he's about to head to Mexico to go race the Ball One Thousand in his Baja book. You know, and he just he, started the pandemic is when he just started getting into racing. The Baja 500 was when he started getting into racing. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. He started building the car in Florida, you know, as far away from Mexico as you can get, you know, well, in the U.S. at least. Sure. I mean, Florida's flat, there's no hills there. You got the tallest peak in Florida's pile of trash, Mount Trashmore. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I lived in Miami, so it's like there's nothing there. You got swamps, but. You know, he built that and he's out here doing it, you know, and I hope he finishes it. Even you know, no matter how long it takes, I hope to see him down there at La Paz. I'll be cheering him on the whole way. Yeah. So and it's it's cool to see. And what do you pick? Like if you're gonna go out to the Baja one thousand, I mean, how do you plan? I mean, I'm a full blown amateur filmmaker and I wanna try to capture some moments when I do some of these things and I've got fourteen <laughs> GoPros and I've got all kind of crap everywhere besides the iPhone thirteen and all this other stuff. And it's like trying to trying to set up the shot and trying to get, you know, the right, um, whether it's the angle, the locations or, uh, you know, like how are you planning to do that? Like for to, to be able to capture some of that on film. So I can tell you from my experience, you know, going down and shooting the last handful of races that 
there's a certain amount of planning for sure. But a certain amount of that planning always gets tossed out the window in the midst of it. And it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Right. And, you know, you you can plan and plan and, you know, you get – I usually have about three or four different plans. You know, a backup plan and a backup plan and a backup plan. But the best way, you know, if, if I were going to tell you to do it would be to throw the GoPros away. <laughs> First and foremost, I hate GoPros. But yeah. – um, it's meeting the right people and connecting with the right people is kind of a big thing. Um, you know, like when we were shooting the Baja 400, we had Dennis Hollenbeck with us and he took us and he was helping us, um, you know, and having the locals there, which has been a huge help. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do it without that. The support down there that we get is, is huge. Um, so, you know, there's, I know where some of the shots are and talking to people and, you know, where figure out where the, the ideas, ideal spots are and going and scouting out as much as we can. Um, and a lot of it's tricky too, because some of these places are really hard to get to and you can't go backwards on a race course and going on a race course with a Jeep is kind of sketchy, not knowing where all the trophy trucks are. Kind of? Yeah, it's it's hard to act fast when a car comes over the hill at 80 miles an hour at you, man. It's kind uh, of a... Yes. Actually, that happens at uh, the Nora 500. We were coming up, we were like, okay, if we come up here, we'll be, it'll be perfect, and we can shoot the car coming down around the straightaway and flying around this corner. And we're like, okay, we're good. You know, we looked, we didn't see anybody, but there was this trophy truck in the bottom valley, and we were up there with Luckily, there was a couple of people, and we saw right at the right time and hung it to the right, got off the course, and we were fine. But that dude was doing 80 around the corner. I have a clip of it, and he was flying. But it's one of those things. you got to always have your head on backwards and looking where everything's going and paying attention. And you're, you got to just kind of go with the flow. And um, having the right equipment and really not – I mean, one thing that can really play tricks in your head is the time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're down there, you're out there, you know, sometimes you're waiting at one spot for three hours, two hours for a car to come by. You're like, is the car coming? <laughs> yeah. Do we go? Any, you know? Anything can happen. Yeah, anything can 100%. happen down there. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, we shot these two cars. Let's wait another 20 minutes, see if they come. If not, sorry, guys, we got to go. And it's... And then also a lot of it is also kind of um, pre-planning where the cars are going to pit. So that kind of gives us a way to meet up with different teams. So with this race, we're going to meet up with quite a few different teams. So we'll probably start with like the 516 cars. Um, so we'll, we'll probably shoot the, the start of the race and then go to near where they're going to have their first pit so that we can get a shot of something near there or go to Os Negro so we can get some jumps mm-hmm. um, and then kind of just crisscross our way down, um, meeting up with different teams as we go. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. I, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see the story being told because even, you know, from my standpoint, doing the podcast with every interview, I learned so much about what I thought I was going to learn with this guy and then so much more that I didn't know. And I'm excited to see that in the movie and excited to see, you know, and and that's where I'm I'm wrapping my head around, like how, which story is being told because there's, I mean, there's just the story of how, how the Baja bug affected the aftermarket, how the Baja bug affected pop culture. 
You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like there's so many layers of how the Baja bug had an impact on so many different aspects of society that that you kind of don't see on the surface, but as things start to go, I mean, how many different Baja toys did they make? Like companies that had nothing to do with off-road, anything at all, made a plastic Baja buggy toy for little kids. You know what I you mean? You can like, still find that now. Like, you know, my son's big into Hot Wheels, so we'll go and look for Hot Wheels at, you know, Target or wherever, and it's like, there's Baja bugs there. You know, it's like I saw the other day, I remember I was, I was looking in one of the aisles, and there was a, like a Spider-Man little action figure, but his car was a Myers Makes. Yeah. And then like on the same show, you know, same row, there's like a, a Hoonigan Baja bug. And it's like, <laughs> those things are alive and well, you know, there's kids connect with them. Adults connect with them. I mean, I've yet to find someone who hates a Baja bug. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm excited to see the film come out. I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm hoping to see some teasers out for it, you know, to get, get, get everybody excited to see the thing. Um, yeah, I- we have a rough cut of the trailer done right now. Um, we're in the process of finalizing the rights to the music. Um, it's a song that I've had in my head for the trailer for a long time. And so we're, we're trying to get that finalized. Um, but I'll send you a link to it so you can check it out, but we'll have one out soon and, uh, and a GoFundMe so that people can, can help us finish the project. Yeah. I think that I, I think the VW community would definitely get behind it because you know, I, I, the VW enthusiast is, is kind of like the counterculture outlaw guy. And the crazy part is they're all not the same. They're all, they're all a different part of a different counterculture. If that makes any 100%. sense. Oh, hundred percent. And I mean, but that's the beauty of it is, you know, you can take a Baja book to a car show. Like I take mine to car shows all the time and mine's like a period correct Baja bug. It rolls in and I park it next to, you know, anything. Like I'll park it next to a Lamborghini. I'll park it next to, you know, someone's little JDM Supra. And those guys get out and they're like, that thing is awesome. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. It's, it's one of those special things that no matter what you're into, it kind of transcends that. And it, you can tell it's something special. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I'm thinking like, what other car is there that that you can do that with? And I don't know, I don't know very many that that transcend different car cultures that are universal, like to some degree, very specific, yet universally connecting to so many people. So I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I'm, I'm like I said earlier, I'm trying to figure out how I'm trying to wrap my mind to how <laughs> how you're going to be able to tell the story because. I know just doing the podcast, I eat up an hour just having a conversation about the Baja Bug movie. And it's <laughs> right? like that branches into 15 different avenues of dialogue of things we can get into. And it's it's fascinating to me how you can take, let's say, if and how do you do it from a filmmaker standpoint? Do you start with like, okay, it can't be longer than two hours or two hours is my limit. And now working that way backwards, these are all the stories I have to tell or how how does it come together for you? I mean, realistically there's, I'll, the way I personally work is I will cut the film all the way through regardless of length and just go start at the beginning and I'll go all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll cut a little scene here or there and then they get put in there. But so that way it flows, you know, every scene flows from one to the next and it goes seamlessly as I kind of want that emotional roller coaster to go. Sure. And with this film, you know, there's, there's two ways I could go about it in, in my mind. And one is the very cold, hard, factual, this is the history of the Baja bug. 
And honestly, that film needs to be made, but that's not necessarily the film I'm going to be making. I'm more going to follow the the emotional stories of that kind of inspire me through the history of the Baja bug and tell it through that, you know, from its beginning all the way till, you know, where we are now. And that's really where I'm going to go with the film is, is really the things that pull me in a direction are where I'm going to go. And there are definitely certain key points that need to be met and hit along those ways. Right. But having certain flexibility and how we get to those points is what'll really help the film come to life and add extra things that you wouldn't, you know, those little surprises that you wouldn't know about. Now I'm going to do some self-indulgence here just because I got you on the phone and I have a lot of questions about filmmaking in general to yeah, get, to, to, to get like, cause I know all of us, you know, everybody's got their own soundtrack of their life in their head and they envision everything, you know, with a certain song to it or whatever. What mm-hmm. is it? What does it take to do that? Making a film to get the rights to that type of stuff is it quite expensive? And there are certain things. I mean, I know I put on a car show, and I was like, "Oh, I think everybody would like to see the movie Rad." And then I was like, "Yeah, let's just chalk up the movie Rad because you guys said you I, like nope, they won't allow you to see that movie." And I'm like, oh, "Really, Rad? Like, <laughs> why is this thing being kept in a vault? You know what I mean? Like, yep." But it's really interesting because I don't understand that part of the that part of the world and so when you're looking to cut a soundtrack for this thing do you look at that soundtrack as a whole of like what songs represent Baja or what songs connect with the with the scene and the shot and the vibe like how do you put it together and then what does it take to pull that off I go more for what feels right for the scene and the vibe and what'll help push the story because some of my favorite things in filmmaking have been that kind of juxtaposition of things you wouldn't necessarily assume would go together. Right. So when I'm doing a film, you know, with getting the rights to music, it's, it can be difficult. It can be expensive, but it, it doesn't have to be. It really depends on the song, the artist who owns the rights to it. You know, you always have to, you have to get the, the two sides to agree you have the the master right and you have the recording right and so you have to get everyone to agree on a price and then you pay each side that price um now and is it a flat film, is it a flat rate i mean just out of curiosity oh, God, no. oh it's it's a it's a tiered type thing like you can get pay for the no, right no, no it's it's not a tiered type thing it's a well this side wants you know ten thousand well this side says i'll do it for five thousand well you got to get those two to agree. Otherwise you're paying them both 10,000, you know, or it could be something where like, you know, the band loves the stuff here. We'll get a push through. It's free. You know, really? I've had that happen. I, yeah. I've had that. You know, I, I, I was a creative director for a number of years and I worked for a, a nonprofit surf company called the uh, Maliola foundation mm-hmm. where we took kids with cystic fibrosis surfing as a, kind of a natural introduction to, to saline as a, a treatment for cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of scientific backing there, but um, I did all the filmmaking and all the kind of commercial stuff for that. And um, like with the Foo Fighters, we had a relationship with them. So I was able to use their music to do all of our stuff and I didn't ever have to pay a thing. Oh, but cool. on the flip side, I used one, there was a commercialized shot. It was just going to like web where we used a heart song and we ended up having to pay I think like twenty thousand dollars for the song. Jeez. So it's it's one of the and that that was twenty thousand <laughs> for a year. <laughs> wow. So it's one of those things where it 
it's, you know, how long is a piece of string? It can be cheap. It can be expensive. Um, But with with this film, I have a couple of people who are creating original music for me. Um, My little brother is actually a really talented musician. And so I kind of tasked him early on with creating a bunch of stuff and just gave him a little bit of direction and said, go. And so he's been just kind of going off on a tangent and he'll send me things here and there. And, and I have a, a good friend of mine, Brennan, who I used to work with, who's an amazing sound engineer, um, who's going to do all the engineering for the film. Um, but he's also a musician and does scores for film. So he keeps sending me all these really cool songs. And he's like, you know, so anytime I have a song that I like, I'll send it to him. And he'll be like, oh, okay. And so he'll kind of add that into his mental note. And then, um, you know, through the the process of making the film, I've, you know, made a lot of connections and made a lot of friends. And um, one of those friends I've made was uh, Jeff over at Baja Bound Insurance, who they're taking care of me, helping me get everything insured so it's safe while we go down to Mexico. But Yeah, important. Which is a big, important thing. Um, but um, he is a musician and has a large catalog and a lot of connections with record companies. And so he's been helping me. He actually is jumping on to help me with the film um, on the music side. And so he's been um, helping me facilitate a lot of music there. So he's been like sending me lists and lists and lists. So a lot of it is literally just sitting down with a set of headphones and listening to thousands of songs. Yeah. I've, I've always, I've always wondered how that all comes together, you know? yeah just that so that's know. a process in and of itself and and, and I, does that happen during the editing process as you're editing in like man what sets the tone here and what what's striking you at the time when you're when you're reviewing like when you're cutting the film yes and no you know so like i'm i've already been listening to stuff and so like i have a as i'm going through i have an idea kind of of not necessarily what i need for what place mm-hmm. but a sound, you know, a certain feel. It's like, okay, that's right. You know, I don't know where it's right for, but that could find a place somewhere. Right, energy. So like I'll start, yeah, got the right energy, the right feel. Like, I could find a place for that somewhere. So I'll add a, you know, start a playlist with that. So it's like I've got a running playlist going where it's like when I get stuff sent to me and, you know, jot notes down of like, okay, I like this song, but I like it at, you know, three minutes and two seconds until three minutes and 47 seconds. It's like, so it's, you know, not always a whole song. It's like sometimes I like the little weird piece of a song in the middle or in the end and I'll kind of cut them together to, to create what I need or I'll give someone that and have them kind of recreate the the feel, you know? So a lot of times I'll cut to a song and then replace it if I have to um, just because I'll like that tempo of the song and mm-hmm. then have someone write something for that edit. Now, what other doc? What other docs have you done? You said you've done a few other documentaries. Anything that that some of our listeners could go check out? Uh, I have them all on my website right now. You can go to atypicalsquire.com, dot com, a t y p i c a l s q u i e r. The so I did one on the Maliola Foundation. Um, that was kind of my first feature length documentary I mm-hmm. did. Um, I think that was in like two thousand five, two thousand seven, two thousand seven. Um, and I was kind of telling that story of, of the foundation and just kind of what they were doing. And then um, I was a creative director for a biotech company for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, I was, you know, the head of the, the marketing department and we had a whole film production company in there. So we were doing a lot of 
kind of short form documentaries and commercials, everything in-house. I'd brought everything in-house just because my background of filmmaking, I wanted to do it myself. Um, and so as kind of I was working as creative director, I'd hear different stories and kind of things that would catch my ear of these, you know, interesting stories of, of patients or families that I had heard. And so um, the first documentary I did on that, was uh, about this family in Orange County who had these two daughters who had this very severe genetic disorder and they didn't know what it was. And for over a decade, they were trying to figure out what it was. They went to all kinds of specialists and doctors all across the country and nobody could figure it out. And then this new type of genetic testing where it's pretty much um, look at the, you know, the human genome project looks at the whole entire human genome. Right. So there was a new type of testing that had come out that was similar to that, but it looks at the exome of your DNA, which is pretty much the protein coding regions. And you're able to diagnose a lot of inherited disorders that way. But it it looks at all 20,000 genes versus looking at kind of one or two the way they had done it prior, where it's kind of needle in a haystack. And it was this kind of amazing story of this family going on this journey to kind of find an answer for their two daughters. And this one in a million story of them finding it and then finding a way to get their daughters on a treatment plan and get it kind of reversed. And this kind of amazing story of what these parents did to find out what was wrong with their girls and then try and help them. Um, And the second documentary I did, and that's called... um, the life we live yeah uh, and the second documentary i did was kind of almost a part two to that but had nothing to do with the same family but it was almost once you it was the story of this mother and this daughter who the daughter had a very severe form of epilepsy um starting when she was a baby and she would have these horrible seizures and stop breathing and it was this i mean it's the worst thing you can imagine as a new parent and there was nothing. The doctor had no answers for him, nothing. And this mother went on pretty much a warpath to find what was wrong with her daughter and was able to raise enough money to get a research grant going to fund research on this. And they were able to figure out exactly what gene it was. And then they were able to further fund research to get a pharmaceutical company on board to develop a drug for that. And they were able to get this all going and to market. And that girl, when she, when I was started shooting the documentary, she was having a seizure. And I say seizure, they're cluster seizures. So she would have hundreds of seizures at right. a time. She would stop breathing and they would. So that was happening once a week. When we finished the film after this mother, you know, once she had gone through all this, she stopped having seizures. And now it's been, I think, what eight years or so since we finished the film and she hasn't i think she's had maybe one or two seizures since then oh wow and so it was kind of this story of what the perseverance of one person can do when faced with kind of an unknown kind of something attacking their child yeah and so those were something that I was able to do because they were in the realm of the genetics world so I was able to get the right companies involved to help fund them and I left the company when we sold it in 2000. I left in 2018. We sold it in 2017. And that's when I started my own production company and been doing um, new short films and kind of rebranding companies and doing a lot of commercials and stuff on the side, not on the side, full time. Um, 
and then everything stopped when that pandemic hit. And so that was when I had some time to really look inside and, and figure out what I wanted to do. And that's when I made that commitment in April to, to start this project. And what's your deadline? Like, when are you trying to be ready to start going editing and, and get this film put together? My plan is to um, pretty much have it finished before Christmas. And then I'm going to give myself about a, a week off for Christmas and uh-huh. then lock myself in a room starting uh, beginning of December. And um, I'm giving myself three to four months just because it's going to take a while and there's not a lot, of, a lot of pieces to go in there. And But I edit very fast. So I'm I was going to say to me, I, you know, the the biggest challenge I can shoot footage all day, man. Editing is where I get gassed out. I'm just like, oh my gosh, and then I just start getting like, you know, because clearly no one's paying me to do what I'm doing, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just I'm just going to butt this up and move on here. I mean, it could be better, I mean, but no one's paying me to do what I'm doing. I mean, honestly, I'm paying to do what I'm doing right now, and it's but it's it's one of those things. Like I started with skateboarding, and that was when I started doing it professionally, and I started editing in like 1999 i started learning how to use final cut and avid and mm-hmm. i've really gotten proficient in that and i used to when i went to college i went to film school and i worked for before the apple stores there was independent apple stores like resellers yeah so i worked for one that specialized in kind of video production and, and high-end audio stuff and so i was able to teach editing through that and also learn editing through that because we would help set up a lot of these editing suites and kind of music music production studios and so i was able to kind of jump in there and learn that a lot from that standpoint so i know how to fix the stuff that i break which inevitably happens and i learn how to edit really fast just because i just do it just kind of flows especially with something that i've shot um it goes really fast. I have a photographic memory. So as soon as I see something, it's like, okay, I know exactly what that is. I know what I shot. I know what that is. And so as I've been going the whole time, I've kind of been editing it along in my head as well. So I already have kind of an idea of the flow and how it's going to go. It really just, once I have all the pieces to that puzzle sitting down and getting it down. No, I'm, I listen, I'm looking forward to seeing it, man. And I'm, I'm super excited that you're taking this project on because I agree. It's a story. It needs to be, t- I mean, you could make an entire series of movies just on the VW world in and of itself because it you goes- can make an entire series on just the Baja books, let alone, I mean, oh, yeah. if you include all the VWs, you're talking like a year of movies to watch. <laughs> and I think it's, it, you know, I've said this before in my podcast a lot and, and the, the Volkswagen is as American as apple pie because that- <laughs> it really is. You know what I mean? It's so funny because everybody, I don't know, you know, even the import guys don't really consider a Volkswagen an import. You know what I mean? It's weird because it's, I mean, it's definitely not an American car, you know, by any standard, but it is because so much of its history came from America and came from California to, you know, to be honest. I mean, look at, if you look at the different kind of iterations of the Volkswagen bug as a platform. You know, you have the buggies, you have the cow looks, you have, you know, the kit cars, the Baja bugs. Look at where that all came from. It all came from Southern California. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, like, um, a couple of years back, it was funny. I was We were doing a project um, with Vintage Buggy where um, Discovery Channel flew over from Germany. And they were shooting a whole thing on Baja bugs for a car show, a German car show. But they don't have, they can't 
they can't do that over there. So they had to come over here to do the whole Baja. You know, he was trying to buy a Baja bug while he was here to take back. And it was, it's interesting what's, what you can take elsewhere. Cause what's legal here isn't legal in Germany or Australia. And there's different iterations. So if like you look at a Baja bug from the U S or from California and you look at a Baja bug, you know, in, in Australia or Germany, even there's, they're different. Yeah. You know, in Germany, you have to have full fender coverage. You have to have engine <laughs> coverage. So, you know, you yeah. you don't have that same look. You can't have the cut fenders. And, and like in Australia, if you look at the Baja bugs down there, a lot, they have to have coverings on the engine. So they'll have cages around it, like a wire fence almost, just to kind of get the regulations passed. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh... – we're we're very fortunate here in the United States to be able to have the ability to do whatever we want with so much stuff that we have that we can do and drive. I mean, compared to other countries in Europe, man, we can drive just about anything on the road over here. Oh yeah, I mean, my dune buggy, like, it has seatbelts, but I mean, let's be honest, those are a joke. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, it it should not be legal in any sense of the word, but. Yeah. It's my favorite car to drive, and it's I'll drive it anywhere. Yeah, you're going. But you're it's going about down as the... safe as you know. I mean, a motorcycle is probably arguably. Oh safer. yeah, you're, you're going you down the road out of things. in a tissue box. You know. Yes. <laughs> no, it's that it's, can do wheelies. It's wild, <laughs> and that's the that's the great thing about you know the U.S. is we're we're able to and that but but I think that's also how ingrained the car culture is into the United States culture is because it's just something that they do. People oh, just yeah. I mean, build I'm, their, sure. you know, Volkswagens or build their I mean, custom cars. Yeah, I mean that's what the Baja Bug is. I mean it's the the ultimate off road hot rod, you know. Yeah, that's it's it's a uh, it's something special, something cool. Well, I tell you, you know, Michael, I'm I'm glad we get to have you on here and let let our listeners know about the project. And uh, for for these guys to find out more about the project, go ahead and give me your website, your social, and if they can contribute in any way, how we can direct them towards that as well. So you can follow us at the Baja bug movie on Instagram, or you can search the same on Facebook. Um, the website is the Baja bug movie.com. Um, you can get the, uh, the official Baja bug movie shirt is for sale on shreddy right now. Um, and, We'll probably have a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe starting up soon. And if you follow the Instagram and the website, check back. Um, we'll let you know how you can contribute there. Nice. And the, and the, and the, and buying the merch helps support the film. It does. Um, and there's, I have a, so in my kind of sidetrack when I was a genetic in the, in the genetics world, um, I also had started a clothing company it was a skate company with chris markovich and we had kind of transitioned it into clothing mm-hmm. um and so that's still around and so i actually me being a creative director i design stuff so a lot of times i'll throw little designs up there and shirts and stuff and so you can if you go to find the there's uh there's always a little selection of baja bug movie gear on there and and that goes 100 percent of those proceeds go towards funding the film nice well, very cool. Well, I'll definitely add links to all that stuff in the description of this podcast. And uh, I appreciate you for coming on, man. And, and I definitely commend you for what you're doing, man, because our hobby absolutely deserves this. It deserves the, it deserves the story to be told for sure, man. Well, appreciate you having me on, Bill. It's been a pleasure. You got it, brother. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon.
I think that's a super rad project to see this movie come to fruition. And if you guys want to support, go to GoFundMe and search the Baja Bug movie and you guys can contribute to help fund this movie. I went ahead and donated, so I think it's awesome that these projects are being put together to preserve some of the history of our VW hobby. Well, we're off until next week, guys. So remember, you want to support the podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and pick up some merch. Until next week, guys. Later.